Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Blog Talk Radio. Because we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Balvin Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and this is the last thing in the world I want to do. And tonight, <laughs> I'm joined by the one and only like the, Fat Drug. That's like the worst intro ever, and this is the last thing I want to do. Man. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's honest. Yeah, well, uh, if you're listening at home and you want to know a little bit about my own uh, very spectacular and uh, rock star personal life, I was playing basketball last night, and I almost broke my ankle, but I just popped it and sprained it really good. And so I've slept like 18 hours a day, and I've just been sitting in this gray, cold house, you know, trying to get better so I can maybe go hike next weekend. But uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of things I want to do right now that isn't doing this game, including watching the condensed games and stuff. But, anyways, how are you doing tonight, BFD? Oh, you know, I'll just uh, don't need to edit this out, but I might have to run. We're kind of having a little emergency, but we're going to see what I can do. Okay, yeah, we can do this faster. Uh, so, did you know that the Jacksonville Jaguars are the best team in this division? I don't even think it's close anymore. I think even when you consider all the um, – even when you consider the injuries, I just don't think the talent level between these two teams is remotely close. I mean, you look at Jacksonville's uh, defense alone, and they are stacked at every position with the probable exception of middle linebacker. I think they need to do something about Paul Pelosi. I think he's been he's been done for several years now, and they've they've been rotating him out, so they they know that. I think um, he matches good with the guys he has around him because like he's a strong he's like a strong tackler and it's like good at matching with guards. And you have two really fast guys next to him with you know Telvin Smith and Miles Jack. That you know, I think on other teams he would be you know I think you you would want him to have him start at all, but I think he matches them pretty well for what they have going on. You know. Yeah, I mean, you're, I don't think you're wrong. It's just he doesn't – he's not a very good football player. <laughs> That's why he's been sitting. He's been sitting a lot, not playing his big yeah. snaps recently. Just playing first um, and second down, you know. Yeah, yeah but, it, I mean, if you want to – you could, you know, uh, a two-down two thumper I think would be a good – you know, a guy who's more athletic would be a good second-round pick. I don't know. Um, offensively, you know, Cam Robinson is – you know, the, the entire offense is pretty young. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. And they've had a lot of injuries on their, you know, the wide receivers. They were playing like their fourth, fifth, sixth ring type guys who look great. Um, so there's a lot to like about this team. I think if I'm the if I'm the uh, Jaguars, I go into 2018. I'm thinking I get a, some more help on the offensive line and a, and a two-down thumper at Mike. And, you know, of course, this, another cornerback can never hurt. That's, that's a pretty dadgum loaded team. It may be a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, that's a big question with Jacksonville uh, is the quarterback position. Because everything else, like like you're saying, uh, the entire roster is pretty loaded. And I guess the one thing I want to say about the wide receivers, and you have you know, Mickens, Keelan Cole, and Dede Westbrook. Westbrook was a fourth-round pick. Uh, Keelan Cole and Mickens are both undrafted free agents. And the Jaguars are one of the more analytic, invested teams in football. And I think one of the, one of the things the analytics does better than scouting is to be able to use you know, measurables to find guys late in the draft that you know grade out well to project to be you know NFL wide receivers or you know because you have to have a minimum of athleticism to play prevent football and if you can find those guys late in the round later in rounds you at least have the minimum athleticism you can get you know production of them later on I think that's what we're seeing with those three guys uh, with Jeff Jackson and the and so I mean they both have been just awesome these last you know, weeks with Alan Hearns and Al Robinson out. Yeah, and crazy, and then they lost Marquise Lee early in the game on Sunday. I mean, it's, this team ha- is just loaded into – and, of course, there's a reason why. You know, they were bottom of the basement, picking, you know, top five, it seems like, every year for the past decade. 
So, of course, they were eventually able to load up in talent. They didn't have any big contracts. They could sign guys like Malik Jackson and A.J. Boye. You know, there's a reason they're kind of in that position, and it's all coming together for them. Um, so you also kind of that in, you know, kind of in that sense, you have to be happy for them as well. And, and the reason why they had so much free agency space is like you say, high, but they picked poor players. They picked bad players. So they never actually had a huge, huge, you know, $120 million contract. So they had cash year after year. And then even the free agent they signed were bad. If you have a bad free agent, you can cover for two years and then get that cap space immediately back. So, you know, they, they had they had top ten defense and they added two best defensive free agents to it and this is what you see. But the biggest thing it's been with you know Jaguars has been Bortles and you know, he's been really good these last you know, four or five weeks or so. Uh, what do you think about Bortles? Do you think he's possibly a star here next year? And do you think he's good enough to hey, help just, a really good yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you think Bortles is good enough to be able to win the playoff game this year? Yeah, and just, just real quick, I want to touch on Jack- Jacksonville's now first in DVOA, defensive DVOA, after week 15. So that's how good that defense is. Um, they're not fooling around at all. Uh, as far as Bortles goes, he's 14th by DVOA, or D-Y-I-A-R, I'm sorry. I think what you're kind of seeing with, and, and just to, to kind of put that in perspective, he just passed Deshaun Watson over the weekend for that spot. Um which is just crazy. I think Bortles right now is kind of turning into Alex Smith with a bigger arm. Uh, he's, he looks like a game manager, acts like a game manager, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because he's no longer really hurting you with all the terrible interceptions. I think he had maybe one really bad throw all game on Sunday. It just did not look like Blake Bortles was playing quarterback anymore. And that was the third time I've watched him over the past, I think, four or five weeks. And he's been looking like that. It's crazy craziness. Do I, do I think he can lead them? I, I think he can lead them deep. I think the defense is good enough to lead them deep. Um, and that I think he just does a good enough job to keep them in the battle, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this year he has 19 touchdowns to eight interceptions, uh, which is something that I rarely see from him at all. And I think the offense has really done a great job kind of molding to him. I know the beginning of the year it was just really heavy, lots, you know, lots of heavy runs. They try to throw a deep ball and it really wasn't working that well for them. In the last, you know, five weeks, five or six weeks, so they've changed is that they've gone from, you know, heavy run plays to a really spread offense with four or five wide receivers, and they run crossing routes all over the field. And all you see Bulls, <laughs> yeah, you kind of see Bulls just hang out back there and then find these crossing routes and hit guys in stride. And these are talking about, you know, seven-yard passes, seven to 13-yard passes that he's able to hit. And the other thing, too, he only, he only needs five guys in there to block because he's broken 19 tackles in the pocket. He's, he's saved 19 sacks. And so then if you have a guy who can be able to play with only five offensive linemen, you can spread things out. You know, if you guys in strike, you pass through this offense. And I had the exact same thought watching this game that you did, that he looks like Alex Smith. And they really are. Like the, the Jags are running like a, I guess, a less creative, like a more run-heavy, I guess, kind of Chiefs offense without as many screenplays going on, where it's all these quick, these quick little fast guys just, Running crossing routes and just little uh, dink and dunks here and there. I think the biggest thing that's changed with Bortles so far uh, recently has been his ability to throw these touch passes, where he's like he's walking these high passes into you know, the sideline, so just has wheel routes and like you know, just kind of simple corner routes too. But he's just lofting them over defensive backs and hitting guys in stride right before the sideline, and you know that's been really beautiful to see uh, some of the throws he's made out there. And so yeah, I, you know I'm impressed. I think you know all he has to do is just be mediocre. With, the, with how good this defense is and also with Fournette. And if they get any sort of lead, this team is going to be kind of impossible to beat as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the funny thing is you, you mentioned the because the crossing routes just blew me away. I mean, that just seemed like they just kept hitting the same play in Madden, like every freaking play. And it was it, and it was fun to watch because those dudes out there are so quick. So yeah. they lost a little bit of that vertical passing game with Hearns and Robinson gone. But, man – they are they were throwing quick hits to guys who are fast as heck <laughs> and who against a team that's slow and it's not surprising at all they ripped this up. We could not keep up with those passing routes and or with those crossing routes. And the other thing about it, if you're playing man against those fast guys, it's hard to keep up. If you're playing zone, then those handoffs and zone scheme become all that much more important. And and for teams that it's it's a it's a route that can beat you know almost any team out there, who's going to stop those little quick guys running those routes? And 
it's, it's simple and it's really, really effective. And the second you start to jump them, someone's going to beat you deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to bring up next was just my variables game plan in this game was uh, completely stupid and awful, and he's bad all year. And this is just another example of it where he's going to get the passing offense set, but I was just running all these you know, short little crossing routes, and he consistently sits and keeps his guys at man coverage. He's also having you know, John and Joseph playing off-man. Uh, Kevin Johnson's playing a lot off-man with Kareem Jackson slot playing press coverage. And all three of these guys are awful in this game. I keep up with Mickens, Cole, and D.D. Westbrook uh, whatsoever. A little simple rubs really took advantage of the cushions that Johnson and Joseph were using. And, I mean, they were completely torched, and they didn't change it all the entire game. They just kept using the same thing over and over and over again, and it didn't work out as, at all. And I know, like, you know, part of it is Rayleigh was going to bind because this secondary had trouble playing zone coverage, but that's, like, you know, deep, you know, cover four you're talking about. And also, they haven't gotten any better at playing zone coverage for year, and that's his job is to coach up the secondary. And it's been pretty much the same secondary all season long now with Johnson, Joseph, Jackson, and then Gilchrist, and how that think by now, by week 16, they could play you know, like cover two and be able to run a defense that can sell these crossing routes and try you know, bait Bortles and interceptions. And uh, they didn't do it all, and they were awful. And it was just a completely terrible game plan from Mike Brady. Yeah, and, and once again, perspective, the Texans are 23rd and pass defense DVOA. I mean, this is a team that is not doing well against the pass. We know why. There's, there's two reasons. We're not getting the quarterback. Makes sense because of the injuries. And we have really Jackson is not a cornerback anymore. Jonathan Joseph is done. Um, Andre Howell is still not batting coverage, but Marcus Gilchrist is not very good. And Kevin Johnson has been a nightmare. So there is a reason why we're 23rd in, in DVOA. But even if we get healthy and we get to the quarterback, I mean, this team pass defense wise next year. I mean, once these guys get another year older, it's going to be even worse. And I just, you know, even with everybody back, let's say Merciless is back, Watt is back, what are we going to be past defense-wise, 20th, 21st? So there's a lot of work that needs to be done from a personal standpoint alone that makes me concerned about 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the whole idea with this defense this year is that, okay, well, we'll lose Boye, who, I'll, you know, I'll say it again, he was the best player on this defense last year. He's the only reason why they were able to – he's the main reason why they are able to make up for, you know, the Watt injury – and then the Kevin Johnson injury, it would stay as good as a defense as they were. And they said, well, we'll lose him. Who knows how good he's going to be next year? We're not going to match the contract Jackson was going to offer him. And then we have Watt coming back next year. So we have Watt, Clowney, you know, Merciless, McKinney, Reader. We have a chance to have, like, a, a top five front seven in football. And so they can do more than enough to make for the loss of Boye. And we also have Kevin Johnson coming back, too. And now, now it's like, well – even if you get these three guys back next year, the secondary has been so bad that how are you even going to really accept that you know, the return of Merciless and Watt is going to make this past defense you know, really good again because it was really good and it has been really good and it's been a strength in their past defense. And so now that strength is you're kind of scary you know, moving forward. Um, Pittsburgh is able to play well, have a good pass defense with a great pass rush and meet the other players in the secondary. And so I think it's kind of the model that you'd have to be able to hope that you can uh, carry on going to next season, but I think it's kind of a, a really big question mark where you have you know, a lot of issues with secondary and you have uh, positions to fill. And so next year, just 33, he's on the last year of his contract. He's going to be a free agent for this year. Uh, if you cut Kevin, if you cut Kareem Jackson, you save 6.75 million. Kevin Johnson's going to be on, it's going to be his fourth year, so which is going to be his last year of his rookie contract. Most likely, get the fifth option. So, do you think Johnson and Justin will be back on this team next year? Uh, you know, what, what are, what's the likelihood you have that happening? I, I don't really know. I mean, if we start to look around at who's going to be available free agent-wise, because all right, that's, that's the story, right, is we can go out and sign some guys free agent. Well, Tremaine Jackson is pretty easily the, the far and away best cornerback out there that will be available next year. Then it goes to guys like Prince of Makamura, Brent Grimes, Jonathan Joseph, Morris Claiborne, Justin Bethel, neither, neither of those guys need, should start in the NFL. D'Angelo Hall, you know, maybe Malcolm Butler, if you think he can come back from being so scrubby this year. It, the, the talent after Tremaine Johnson is a huge drop-off. And I could easily see, like, a Cleveland going out and signing him because they can't, right? They're going to have a ton of cap space, too. 
of course, Houston would probably be a, from a team and talent standpoint, a better option, but there's just not a whole lot out there. So I don't know. I, I don't think we can afford, definitely can't afford to cut Johnson. And as sad as it is, I don't know how we can afford to let Jackson walk unless we think Marcus Williams, or we're going to go out and spend draft capital on a cornerback. Cause remember we don't pick until the third round. So I, I see I, I, it, I don't see this being fixed next year, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I don't think they're going to cut Johnson at all. I think I think they'll probably keep Jackson as a cornerback to replace Joseph is what's going to happen. Um, you know, Jackson, even if he saves points seven five million, like he can still do things, and he's pretty malleable. And you can also move him to the strong team next year too, which I believe they should have done this year. Uh, and, you know, again, we talked about all last year. I thought should tag Boye, move Jackson to strong safety, and then you have Howe, Jonathan, Joseph, Boy and Jackson, that's a that's a really that's a really great you know secondary potentially. And if you know Watt Mercer seeing it hurt, I think that group could have been a, a top ten pass defense of all time. But um, yeah, that's what I do think happens. I think Joseph leaves after this year. I think Jackson stays, and they sign they try to sign one of these cornerbacks either if it's Malcolm or Jane Johnson. They kind of fill in that other spot. But again, it really what's going to matter more is Watt is coming back and be able to get to the passer. And uh, you're having a really great pass rush to make up for everything else going on back there. And then also hoping that Kevin Johnson's, you know, problems this year are the direct result of injuries. Uh, what do you think is wrong with Johnson this year? Do you think it's injuries? Do you think he's being a good football player and his you know, progression is stagnating? Uh, what do you think is up with him? I think it's the injuries. I mean, what we saw his rookie year is not what we see today. It's not even close. We see a far, far better player his rookie year than we've seen the past couple – this season, really. you got to attribute to injuries. But then again, he's been injured a lot. And so I've talked often about how I think, inju- you know, the injuries are a skill almost as much as anything else. I know there's a lot more luck involved with that. I don't, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's being healthy is a skill that Kevin Johnson has because if that's how he's going to play when he's staying, then he's no good. And he's hurting us out there, and he's actively hurting us out there. So – I do think it's injuries, but I don't know if that's going to be fixed and or how easily that's going to be fixed. Yeah, Matt. and I, I think it's too. I saw this play and it really stood out to me where it was a simple screen pass. That's why he's playing the slot, and he takes his pursuit angle that way too shallow. But it seemed like the type of angle that he's been able to take to make this tackle, and he gets about halfway to the guy, and the guys are already. He has to turn back around field, and he can't. He doesn't make the tackle at all. But I think you know, in previous years, as full ability to really you know break and burst, uh, he makes that play, the two-yard tackle, rather than you know play that goes for goes for the first down. And so after when I saw that play, that's what I was thinking about is I think it's more injuries than him. But you know, who knows what a whole summer is going to do for him if he's already you know playing like this. Uh, you know, he was healthy entering this year. Back throughout the first two games of the season before he went out against Cincinnati. Yeah, people forget about week one and week two, but he was bad in those two, in those first two games, and that was him after a whole off season of rest, the whole summer as well. So I don't know. I I mean I, I think it's injuries, but I don't think it's something you can easily say that. Yeah, give him the summer, give him the off season, give him a chance to recuperate. And he's going to be you know back to how he looked you know his rookie year and also the second year in the league. Yeah, it, it, but does he get to that point? So next year he goes into. He's only 26 years old. I mean, he's got time to turn it around. But, again, we're already starting. It's just concerning where he's at. And one other thing that I, that kind of caught me off guard was he's got one career interception. So that was kind of, I thought that was kind of an odd stat for him. I thought he was more of a, a little bit more of a ball hawk than that. But I guess I was wrong. Yeah, anyway, I guess he caught me I mean, off guard. Yeah, I feel like he's broken up a lot of passes just because whenever he was looking like himself, he had such a great ability to break on the ball where you play off man, sit and sit, and then read the route, and then break on and come down. Like a faster version of what Justin's you're really good at. And so, I don't know, but you know, it's kind of like sacks, or like sacks are the result, consistent, good play, just like interceptions are, but they can be kind of fluky too. Yeah, and so uh, on PDs, he had nine in 2015, three in 2016, two in 2017. Yeah, see, that makes, that makes more sense. Beautiful. Uh, the other thing I noticed defensively this game I have for the past few weeks is, you know, we talk about how, well, what's worth watching? You know, why are we still watching this? Aside from an esoteric, you know, ability to, instead of it just being an esoteric obligation, these are our guys, these are our teams, these are our boys, uh, you know, doing it for the heart of the clan. 
because there's really not a lot of enjoyment out of this, and you know the, the games are really bad. But we talked about how you know Will Clowney's fun to watch, Hopkins fun to watch, etc. And he really has not lost fun to watch. He had a great game on Sunday. He wasn't you know box score good, but he was football good. And the biggest thing I've been watching about Clowney is he's been doing this inside swim move where he'll take you know, two you know two steps outside, plant, and then just like that burst across the tackle space is just awesome. And then from like use his arms to rip through both the guard and tackle and get to the quarterback. And he beat Cam Robin, you know, three or four times this game just using that, you know, two steps outside uh, move to get to Bortles. And it's it's a lot like what Watt does. Except a little bit of and Watt can do it in the run game better than Clowney can. But it's such a great pass move. I think Clowney finally has that inside uh, move down. So now he can go through some like, you know, pure athleticism, uh, you know, bull rush. He can rip around the outside. And that's inside move, I, that's kind of the last thing that I was missing for for it to be a complete you know, pass rusher. And so, like, the you know, growth of Clowney this year has probably has been the best part of the season. And getting this inside move kind of come out nowhere those last four or five weeks has been awesome, too. Have you picked up on move as well? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, an improvement on that. Because that, his, his, um, sorry, his signature move coming out of college, right, was that quick inside first step where he beat guys. This seems like this is like a new twist to that, doesn't it? It's just yeah. like, oh, I can use my arms to do this too. Oh, neat. So it, it seems like he had that athleticism. He's just finally starting to apply that. So that's, it's been a whole lot. Of, he's a whole lot of fun to watch because he wrecks people. I mean, he wrecks people with one arm and tackles the ball carrier with the other arm. It's great. Yeah, and I think he's disgusting to watch too with what he does to pullers. Like, you're talking about the violence of the game and head injuries and, you know, like how we're trying to get rid of some sort of these hits that are out there. Like, watching, like, a fullback or a tight end pull the clowny and just watching him just, like, lower his shoulder and just create, like, a mask right at the point of attack is just unbelievable just, like, how much stronger he is than a lot of these guys in the field. And, you know, like, you love it as a Texans fan the same way. It's like, you know, do we, do we really need to do this because he's not going to make a play here anyways, whatever. But, you know, it's football and, you know, it's the game. Uh, but just, like, he has something, like, good, like, all 22 highlight plays that you really can't see, like, as the game's going on. Uh, where it's just things that you just don't ever see people do to other 275-pound people. <laughs> hey, so some breaking news. Uh, the Texans signed David Questenberry off the team's practice squad. So, hooray, I'm so happy that Pew is just getting a chance. Just throw him out. Just get him some snaps, please. Please get him some snaps. And Tom Savage was placed on injured reserve ending his season. So, no more Tom Savage this year. Yeah, and that's good. Uh, you know, I don't. I didn't want to watch Savage play again this year, especially behind this offensive line, too. And, and the Questenberry thing, like, I thought he looked good whenever I watched him during preseason games this summer, I thought he was going to start off on the active roster and he was released and able to send to the practice squad. So uh, neither regardless of like the, you know, what he's come back from, from the, from the cancer ordeal, he you know fought back through to keep playing uh, professional football, but just like, even as him being a, a competitive player, like looking good on the field, you know, he looked a summer and so I'm excited to watch him play just kind of from that whole young offensive lineman standpoint. Yeah, and it's, you know, yes, yes. Give me David Quesenberry, please. I still wear my – I was wearing it earlier today. I was wearing my uh, DQ T-shirt earlier today. Yeah. And then the other thing, they also put Nick Martin on IR as well. And I guess he hurt his ankle again, which is scary because he missed all last year ankle injury. And if you think about this offensive line right now and how it's put together, uh, Nick Martin's the only penciled-in starter you're going to next year. And the, guy who, the only guy who has, like, a for-sure starting spot on this team. And so, you know, I, I don't, they really haven't said anything. All they said is a scary injury and that he hurt his ankle. And so I'm kind of horrified about that because they just somehow have an impossibly replaced spot. Well, I guess Manx could play center next year. But, uh, you know, it's, it adds a lot more question, a bigger question to an already you know, question, you know. Yeah, and I missed that. Wow. So, so Manx goes to center. Jeez. Manx goes to center. Questionary probably plays right guard. Yeah. Uh, left tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That is a. <laughs> I, I mean, Man- Man- yeah, Manx was was damn good last year though as the center. I, I don't still kind of am not sure about him as a guard as much as the center. But he's damn good as a center. So yeah. At least 
not that big of a drop down. It's a drop, but Manx is pretty darn good. Yeah, just more of, I guess, projecting things for next year. I do think Manx could be a good outside zone guard, but he can't be an inside zone pulling guard. He's just not strong enough and big enough to do it. But I think he could be you know, great as like a Mike Brizel type, where he's just reaching three techniques over and over again. But you know, this offense really isn't like that. No. Yeah. Uh, was Manx – I'm trying to remember if Manx was a, a Kubiak guy or – oh, he has to be a, a Bill O'Brien guy. Bro- yeah, okay. he's a Brian guy. Okay. Um, well, let's see. What, what are some other things we liked about this game? I liked watching DeAndre Hopkins against Jalen Ramsey. Hopkins was 4 for 10 for 80 yards and caught a touchdown pass. Uh, it's, it's also like Yates is such a weird throwing motion right now where it's just, like, so low and quick and just, like, it flutters so much. And so it was just, like, a lot of fun just watching Hopkins beat Ramsey up the line of scrimmage and just kind of wait and wait and wait for the ball and hope that Ramsey didn't catch up in time because there's been so much drama between the two guys. And, you know, you're really excited to watch this matchup. And Hopkins, you know, beat him a lot and really consistently. And he was just beating his press coverage off the line of scrimmage over and over and over again. And so that whole thing was a lot of fun. I know the numbers will kind of make it look like Ramsey had a better game because he only caught four of his ten attempts. But uh, constantly Hopkins was being Ramsey over the line with just, like, strong arms and swims and uh, quick little jab steps and stuff. And, you know, that whole battle was awesome to watch. That was a, a total blast. And I think what was most amazing, that's got to be Jalen Ramsey's, like, worst game as a pro, right? I mean, yeah, Hopkins, owned, he, he owned him deep. He owned Helm, you know, off the line. There was no way that that Ramsey matched Hopkins on Sunday. I mean, that was pure dominance. And you could see Ramsey was getting so frustrated, man. And that that was just total ownage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I love that touchdown pass he had, too, where he steps right and then sprints and then goes left, you know, around him. And Ramsey's chasing and the Hopkins is waiting for the ball, and Ramsey just kind of falls down, like, you know, two yards behind him, you know, on his face whenever, you know, Hopkins catches that touchdown pass. And the other play I loved a lot, too, it was, like, a simple, like, four-yard out Hopkins caught, and Ramsey's coming downhill to drive on the route, and he's, you know, trying to blow Hopkins up, and he hits him in the back and wraps up, and Hopkins just kind of, like, holds his ground and stands him up and kind of gives him a piggyback ride and then throws the ball to the ref, and he's laughing at him because he knew that Ramsey was going for the kill, but... You know, he wasn't able to. I think Hopkins has gotten, you know, just stronger as a player uh, this offseason because last year whenever Ramsey was doing that, he was tossing him, you know, like a wreck out bounds and sorts of things, and it didn't happen all in this game. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't, didn't think about that. He just – he does. He looks like he's just an all-around stronger guy out there. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it's weird how, how easy it is to get strong whenever you're a, a younger man and then your hair gets gray and you can't do anything else. Um, (laughs) it's also important to note too that whenever you have these players like I don't know especially you know like offensive linemen I think it's a good example because it was you never he wasn't strong enough whenever he first got to the Texans and he's become strong enough now but he's had the same problems kind of uh, hurt him you know over and over again but these guys who have strength problems you know when they first come to the league or it's it's the easiest thing to fix is to be stronger because uh, you can always push enough stuff to make that happen. Uh, did you like – how are you liking watching T.J. Yates play football in 2017 for the Houston Texans? <laughs> That's a jerk question. I mean, it's better than watching Tom Savage. I mean, you can just see the the different processing that goes on between those two guys, right? Tom Savage, granted, okay, and, and I've given credit where it's due, is Bill O'Brien has changed the offense to get the ball out of Tom Savage's hands. Everybody saw that. If you are expecting Tom Savage to make the second read, stuff ain't going to happen. So it's it's been a long watching Yates process the game a lot faster. And he looks more confident out there. Um, I, I do think Tom Savage would have would have gotten concussed if he were out there on Sunday. And so it's nice that even a little bit of quicks that T.J. Yates still has at whatever he is, 39 years old, um, uh, that you know he, he's more escapable than Tom Savage is, so it's it's a lot more fun from the standpoint of I'm not going to watch my quarterback have a seizure in the end zone again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's better not watch my playing football than watch somebody else who's bad at playing football. Uh, I I just like, I can't believe just like from a live perspective, like from a being a live thing that 
two years later, you know, from whenever Yates had that, you know, cute little run uh, that we saw him play football in a Texans uniform. Like, I only want to watch TJ Yates play football for Houston. He's wearing a Reebok uniform. Um, you know, this should, this should not be happening anymore. And also, you know, this week and next weekend, I want to see this Heineke guy, you know, out there. give somebody else a shot, see if you can maybe drum up a backup quarterback for 2018 because the Texans have been, you know, horrible trying to find it back of this entire season. Yeah, I'm trying to think the last decent – well, I mean, T.J. Yates is obviously the answer to that question. But since then, which is it, it, like, you know, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, it's just like a clown collar of, of crappy quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's O'Brien Richmond's fault, you know. It's not like, oh, the Texans are bad quarterback. Well, you know, you know it's their it, – yeah, I feel for them. Their quarterbacks are bad, but it's their fault the quarterbacks are bad. Um, was there anything else that you liked about this game at all? Um, I, I really just enjoy watching the defense for the Jaguars. I think they're a fun team to watch defensively. They are so fast. Just up and down that roster, they are fast. It was also funny watching Callie Campbell trying to get T.J. Yates on the scramble. That was pretty entertaining. I think it was, <laughs> was it Yates on the scramble? Or was, yeah, I think it was Yates on the scramble, if I, if I remember correctly. That, that Campbell was just so slow. But uh, anyway, that was kind of entertaining to watch that. But um, they're a lot of fun to watch just from a speed standpoint. Miles, Jack, and uh, Telvin Smith, and A.J. Boye, and Jalen Ramsey, and Tayshawn Gibson. These guys are a lot of fun to watch. These are some really good football players and have no doubt who I'm rooting to, rooting for to win the Super Bowl this year. I, I'm, I'm all in on Jacksonville. That's why I want to see one at. Yeah, and they all seem like they really love each other too. Like they're a lot of fun. Like the camaraderie they have, uh, like you know, their their celebration on the sideline. One of my favorite things I've seen about Jackson this year was that interception Boye had in Seattle on Jimmy Graham. And Jimmy Graham's kind of upset because Boye kind of bait Russell Wilson into it, where he let Graham run ahead of him and just kind of waited and waited for the ball to go. And then he accelerated past, picked him off, and then Graham shoves Boye out of bounds. The flag comes. Ramsey runs over to celebrate Boye, shoves Graham, and then, you know, gives a, gives Boye a big hug after that. So, I think camaraderie, like, you know, the team's fun. Jackson's been bad for so long. It's cool that they actually you get to watch a Jaguars game and see the sun, too, because the sun doesn't exist anymore this time of year for uh, a lot of us. And, yeah, it's a really fast defense. And, you know, I like the personnel decisions they made, too, and how they built this fast defense and added to it and uh, have kind of molded it. And I, the other thing I like about this Jaguars defense is game was how they got pressure. They got primarily from stunts. Calais Campbell had two sacks this game. They are each from looping stunts where Sue Fio failed to pick them up whenever he came back around through the hole. Uh, they did that a lot. And then Gawkway had some really good rushes on the edge against Jack and Meade, one versus one, too. And so you kind of have like all these really cool interior pass rushing moves made. And then when you have Gawkway lined up against the lesser right tackle, you get strip sacks, you can get things like happen on Sunday too. So yeah, you know, the Jaguars defense is always fun to watch no matter who they're playing. Yeah. And, and Yates had that, there was that one that was called a forward pass. That was a fumble. I, that, yeah. that was a fumble. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. I guess and then that that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, he's leading the league right now in strip sacks too for a defensive player. Well, yeah, because he gets to play the Texans twice. That's a good point. It's a very good point. <laughs> Um, and I, I guess the the last thing that kind of came out this week before we get to the next week's game, and one big question I have for BFT is that there's a more, I guess, like, you know, O'Brien, Rick Smith rumblings that O'Brien's saying he won't resign as the head coach of the Texans, but there's thoughts that if, you know, he makes a push for the front office and Rick Smith's fired, that may near may fire him, uh, that a lot of people are upset this team is 4-8, and eight, you know, even though without Watson, like, we knew this type of season was going to happen with the one merciless injuries, none of this really be a surprise. And it's some of those things where, yeah, you, your record is the number one, I guess, performance indicator, but your record is kind of empty. There's a lot of things that can go along with that as well, too. So what do you think, BFD? Do you think Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien are back next year? Do you think one and not the other one is back next year? Uh, and then also, if you could only keep one out to not fire both of them or not keep both of them, uh, between Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, which one would you keep and why? I, I think what we see here, here's ultimately the difference for me. Granted, we lost, we've lost some big games, but but we've also you know look at our wide receiver core. Is we put a lot of draft capital in guys like Will Fuller, Braxton Miller, 
and and we uh, Jalen Strong. The Jaguars go out and get guys like Keelan Cole and Jaden Mickens and D.D. Westbrook in the fourth round. You can just see just from that perspective alone in the return games that go along with that, with Mickens returning punts and kickoffs, that Jacksonville's roster is just that much better. And that's not because they had all those high first-round picks. That's because they are doing a much better job with player evaluation than we are. Rick Smith does one thing well, and it's not a bad thing, but he can pick in the first round. That's it. Uh, I have been off. I have not wanted Rick Smith around for a good five years now. In 10 years, in 10 years as a Houston Texans general manager, and remember, he was not responsible for the 2006 draft. That was all Gary Kubiak. In 10 years, we have three playoff wins. And that is, in our division, that's kind of embarrassing. And this division is changing rapidly right now. I don't find that excusable. And so I go back to if, sure, Rick Smith has done a fine job, fine, okay job. But then Sean Pendergrass they wrote that article that was on the front page that created a billion and one comments, basically creating a rating system for each team since Rick Smith came into the league. And the, and the Houston Texans, I believe, ranked 18th on that list. So the argument for keeping Rick Smith is basically – he knows how to get to the stadium. He's done a pretty good job with first-round picks. That's not an argument to make on that sort of just completely objective rating system. That's why I, I like that so much. So that's something you can point to and say, yeah, that's, that's below average. And so then, of course, the next question is, well, who do you replace him with? That always seems to be, who do you replace him with? I don't know, but I'm not settling for below average anymore. So to answer the, the last question first, it's easily Rick Smith for me. I just – I've been done with Rick Smith for a long time. I don't think there's anything to like about him. The roster has – this is why our special teams suck is because the roster is not deep. Um, most of the gems that we had from 2006, you remember that, you know, that's Mike Brazell. That's, that's Gary Kubiak going and getting Wade Smith. That's Kubiak getting his guys. That's not Rick Smith drafting guys. And we go back and look at, like, the 2013 draft that almost nothing remains from it, you know, Rick Smith is not good at his job. He's just not. He is below average. Um, so I'm kind of ranting here, so I'll stop. Bill O'Brien has impressed me more over the past since Deshaun Watson got hurt than he did in the previous three and a half seasons. I'm off a little bit about wanting to get rid of Bill O'Brien, but the question is, does he go back to his uber-complex offense that only Tom Brady can run, or is he actually learning something this year that – hey, maybe it's a good idea if I play to my quarterback's strengths rather than trying to make them fit my system. And I don't know what the answer to that is, but I backed up, backed up off that a little bit. I still think that every other kind of thing that you look at as a coach, whether it's his game planning, whether it's team preparation, his, his clock management, his timeout management, they're all terrible. And, and diehard Chris made the argument today, if that's why you're getting rid of the guy, those are poor reasons to get rid of a guy. Well, what's the, what else is the head coach supposed to be doing? I mean, you're supposed to be game planning and preparing your team and all this other stuff. I, I don't know what else is, is supposed to be done. So I'm kind of mixed on that. If there is a power struggle, Rick Smith wins the power struggle. I don't think there's a question about that because he's won every other one. And right now you're talking about two major egos with Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, and I think O'Brien loses that battle. Um, my prediction that I've kind of kept in my pocket for a while is that I think Bill O'Brien winds up with the New York Giants in the offseason. I think he winds up there via trade. I think that the, the Giants, we are so desperate for draft picks, I think the Giants might ship over a second rounder and we can send Bill O'Brien that direction. Let's yeah. replace him with Matt LaFleur. So that's that's kind of where I think things are going to head up, and that's obviously that's totally out of my butt, right? I'm not even going to, you know, pretend otherwise. So I there's there's my – podcast rant for the evening matt yeah yeah and i i think it was really great uh i didn't see all that kind of happening and i don't I, I just don't like either one of these guys a lot much i don't think i'll ever like o'brien just because of how much he wasted you know like a really great defense and a really talented team the three years before this one with the decisions he made quebec specifically and how he molded this roster and what he did with this team and just like the inability to you know draft a quarterback and you know, 2013 really ruined those three seasons. Like, I love Watson, but, you know, Houston should have, you know, taken Carr and Ruffler Bridgewater. Uh, we said it at the time, we wanted Bridgewater. And, you know, even everybody, and also a lot of people are saying, like, well, 
with how much better off we are now, that hasn't happened. The guy was a starter, almost won a playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks in uh, the first round of his second, second year of his career. Suffered so traumatic knee injury, had his knee explode. He finally played last week. He does everything else that quarterback does well, except for having like an elite arm. But uh, you know, his career is far from over. He's going to start somewhere next year, and you know, I'm excited to see that too. But like that's so, like, I won't ever like O'Brien just because of he wasted JJ Watt's prime. He wasted the prime of you know Jackson and Joseph. He wasted a really good defense because of this just like stringent ability to only run his scheme, only get his guys at quarterback, and they all weren't very good. Uh, with Smith, you know, he just makes so many he drafts in the first round well, but he just made so many bad decisions. You know, like Bram, like Jeff Allen over Bram Brooks, every over Glover Quinn, not franchises with tagging AJ Boye this year, uh, trading Brock Oswaller for cap space and using that cap space to extend CJ Fedorich, Dave Proch. How and re-signing Ryan Griffin when only one of those guys is actually a good player. The other three guys, you could have just waited until after the season if you wanted to extend them anyways. And all, all three, all four of those contracts, they didn't need to do until after this year. And so they made that, they lost the second round pick and did nothing in the cap space. And that trade was terrible. It's always going to be terrible. Uh, so you have such a weird like dichotomy there with Rick Smith. And then, you know, the Brides kind of just mainly just an opportunity cost and a waste of time. But I am for, you know, Brian being here next year because of what because of how good the offense was looking with Watson at quarterback. And it seemed like he finally realized, you know, uh, I should build an offense that's based around Watson. It's going to be really good. And, you know, he was able to do that. And just because of those, you know, five you know, frantic, a lot of fun, you know, beautiful weeks, I think O'Brien you know, should be back next year so he can you know, keep something else going with Watson. If he doesn't, then you let him go. And, you know, doesn't matter. And if you fired him, you should have fired him last year. You shouldn't fire him this year because you're you know, four and twelve this season. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I think it, one of the biggest questions about whether you retain or, or fire Bill O'Brien is: is who was responsible for the offensive outburst? Was it Bill O'Brien or is it Deshaun Watson? And depending on where you fall, really kind of uh, really kind of dictates where, where how you feel about uh, keeping or firing O'Brien. I, I really think that. I think it's almost binary with that question alone. Hey, look how good he looked with Deshaun Watson. I'm of the opinion that the biggest factor that changed was Deshaun Watson and not Bill O'Brien. So that's why I lean toward that one. The other uh, one more thing I wanted to add, the other one big factor is who's responsible for the quarterback decisions over the past four years? Is it Bill O'Brien? Is it Rick Smith? And yeah, and they, me, that's, well, they, they that's like kind to of, blame each other about that one too. They, they blame each other. So yeah. who actually did that? Who said that? Who actually said, hey, let's sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and let's go win the Super Bowl? Or, hey, let's go sign Brock Eisweiler to $11 billion and he's going to take us to the Super Bowl. Who made those decisions? Yeah, I think my, my guess would be that Fitzpatrick and Hoyer and Mallett were all Bill O'Brien. The Eisweiler and Watt. The Oswaller and Watson thing were Rick Smith. And so I think the first two years was you know, Rick Smith saying, all right, O'Brien, you know, get your guys. You know, do what you want to do at quarterback. That's your thing. And he made awful decisions. You know, all the quarterbacks he signed were bad during those two years. I think Savage was an was a O'Brien guy as well, too. And then after that happened, Rick Smith kind of took control and saying, okay, well, I'm going to make this decision because you can't do it. And that this will led to, you know, name redacted and, you know, Watson coming into the team the last two years. But just because everything, what he likes, he likes smart guys. He likes, you know, he likes smart guys. He likes tall guys with big arms, you know. And uh, his perfect quarterback would be both, but he couldn't find both, you know, mixed in one body. And I don't know. There's, that was, like, I'll still never forget. I guess it was the 14 draft. For, like, we got into a Fitzpatrick as the starting quarterback. So, yeah, it's fine. You, you draft somebody to mold behind them. And they just never draft a new body until you know, Savage in the fourth round. And this year is kind of, in a way, a culmination of all those bad decisions. Yeah, yep. And then, you know, again, who started – who made the decision to start Tom Savage? Who was incapable of seeing that incredible desperation and talent between Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage to start Savage week one? I mean, I was ranting after the first preseason game that – Deshaun Watson should have been the starter. And yet we still trotted out Tom Savage out there. I just – who is making these decisions? I don't get it. And, of course, if we're, we're not going to know. And they're, they've already spun it. Each, you know, Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien have spun it to their 
make each one, you know, themselves look better. So we're not going to know the real answer, I don't think. But man, that's, somebody somewhere has to know who made those decisions because that's what's, that sets this franchise back five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just also wasted you know, so much time as well, too. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole thing's weird. It's me. It's something's going to happen after week 17, it seems like. It doesn't seem like they're just going to say, all right, well, you know, we're 4-12, and 12, but we play really well with Watson. Let's just give us some try next year, which is like the rational, like logical, I think, way to go about it. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. Something's going to happen after week 17, rather it's whether it's O'Brien getting traded or Rick Smith getting fired or, you know, O'Brien getting fired. Uh, something's probably going to happen after week 17 this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think the status quo, we had in the status quo was in 2018. And again, if I had my druthers, if it was one of the two, I, uh, Rick Smith hit the road, uh, let Rivers and I handle scouting. <laughs> yeah. Or like a, just make a model to used in, gosh, I'm so stupid. What's the name of that book? So, so that's um, The Ringer and Sam, Sam Miller, Ben Limber, where they did a Got, they did the GM work for that independently baseball team in Sonoma. And what, what they did is they had this model to be able to find uh, kind of certain, like if I find like guys who go through the independent leagues and aren't drafted and try to find just guys who are out there who'd be good in this you know, little four team California league. I think the same sort of model what the Jaguars have to be able to kind of get their late round and UDFA guys that seem to work so well. Um, well, anyways, the Texans are playing the Steelers this week. And right now, 16. They are, I guess, one game up on the Colts uh, for last place division. The Titans are completely blowing it. And next year, things will be a little different. You know, we get we get a whole. No- I, I'm gosh, this is just as badly as I could say it. Uh, so let's say a very simple game, right? Using based on these four teams right now, and I guess I'm projecting next year with the injuries that they have, space draft capital. Uh, what, what's your AFC South power rankings? for week one, 2018, based off the information we have right now? Uh, Jacksonville, Houston, Tennessee, and Indy. And to me, it's pretty – like, there's not even really a question. Like, it's 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 ob- – I mean, we don't know who's being drafted. We don't know who's signed. But to me, it's pretty obvious. Jacksonville is – I don't even think that they're just the, one of the best – or the best in the AFC South. I think they're one of the best in football today at this point. Um, Houston's got a lot of holes. Tennessee has Marcus Mariota, a couple other guys, and a lot of holes. Indy is a train wreck crashing into a dumpster fire off a cliff. So it's to me, each one's pretty obvious. Matt. Yeah. Well, I think it's Jacksonville for sure, and then I think all the other three teams are just kind of in tie rather on the same spot. Um, you know, the thing about Indy is that they have a hundred million dollars in cap space. They have another top five pick. And Ryan Grigson's on the June on this team anymore. It's Chris Ballard who has all like all the decisions he's made last all season, they've all worked. Malik Hooker worked. Uh, all the defensive free agency brought in. Not none of them on big contracts, all on kind of pretty okay ones. They've all worked out. Uh, so I, I don't think any's gonna be, you know, good really quickly. But it all depends on Andrew Luck to play week one next year and be himself. And if Luck is with the amount of resources and capital they have I think we'd put them. T- I'd put them tied with Houston for sure at second, and then Tennessee. It really depends what they do at coaching. I think Mike Malarkey came up with a, a good scheme to run today's NFL with the personnel to run it, but he is not adaptable to it to the team he's playing. And until they adapt their offense based off the opponent, they're not going. They're not going to do anything at all. They're going to be a seven-win team, you know, an eight-win team, a six-win team. And I would like to see Mike Shula actually become the head coach of the Titans. Panthers. And I think he could do so many things. He does so many things similar to what Tennessee does, but I think he pushed that to the next level, get as much as you can on Mariota in that kind of heavy um, offensive scheme. So I would say Jacksonville one, Houston uh, two, Indy three, depending on if Luck is there or not, and then Tennessee four. But I would put Houston, Tennessee, and um, Indianapolis all within that like seven to nine win range going into next year based now with Jacksonville being the number one candidate. And also Jacksonville too, like, you know, they want they have to bullets a fifth year option. They can go out and get Tyrod Taylor or Eli Manning or somebody else as well. And so even they can make a big improvement in the quarterback position immediately too. Really? Huh. That'd be interesting. Tyrod Taylor in that offense, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I think he can throw a little little quick routes and you also have a 
Paul Rudd, Fournette too, and they also have the ability to get some better guards next year and double down that heavy run scheme too. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that can go on, but I just think all those three teams, you know, Houston, Tennessee, and Jackson, and uh, Houston, Tennessee, they all have big holes, but they all have talent, and they all have, like, question marks and things that break certain ways, but I have to kind of have them all, like, around the same spot, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I was, oh, I was going to say, I want to just say a couple of things about Tennessee. We're just, again, we're fortunate that Mike Marlarkey is just a terrible head coach. I'm sure the exotic mess mouth is, is kind of fun to watch, but the fact that he just keeps things, he, I, I don't get his game planning. I mean, you talked about it. He, he would just run. DeMarco Murray and, and uh, Derrick Henry into a brick wall all day because that's his scheme. And that's yeah. why he's such a horrible head coach. That's why historically he's a horrible head coach. He just doesn't get that, hey, maybe I can throw the ball over the brick wall. He doesn't get that. It's just it's mind-boggling watching that team play. And it's because Mike Malarkey should not be an NFL head coach. Mm-hmm. And it's also like what's to the brick wall is a – is an, I don't know, an iron wall or like a really, really strong brick wall, uh, maybe we should not just try to go through it and we can go over it like you were saying. Because that big game against Houston where you run the ball 45 times against a bad pass defense or the quarterback you have is really inexcusable. And I think it's also really, you know, Stan Mariota's growth as a passer as well, uh, how limited, like, what he's throwing, what he's seeing too. So oh, yeah. I think I think it's a good foundation for a way to be a winning offense because they were – I think like seventh in DV last year, and they have a they're top, they have a top five rushing DV this year. But like so it's a way to win games. You can win games like this. You just have to expand upon it and then adapt it based off your opponents. And Indy hasn't done that. And I think you know I think Mike Schuler Lina, That's exactly what you know, you're looking for. That's what Meth Mouth is. It's like highest potential what Carolina is doing right now. Yeah, and if they got some defense, they don't need anything on the offense. They could spend all seven of their draft picks, whatever they have, draft picks on defense. So offense, you have a you have a really great foundation, a really strong offensive line aside from maybe Ben Jones, and then um, a lot of talent at the skill positions. You got Delaney Walker, who is just a joy to watch. I Man, he's a really fun guy to watch. And he's like the and, only uh, guy having fun. He's the only guy in Tennessee having fun right now whenever they play. It's just like right. Walker and then ten other mopey guys. <laughs> And then, but defensively, they're a nightmare outside of Jarrell Casey and, and Adore Jackson, who struggled, you know, as a rookie. Would you expect from a rookie quarterback? Cornerback, I'm sorry. So, you know, they could go out and and start to rebuild that defense. They might actually become pretty dangerous pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I think the defense also is another example too, where they have talent. I think you look at Sacks, Arakpo, and you know Morgan aren't that good, but they're they both have at least 30 pressures right now. Casey has 30 pressures. So you have a foundation of your pass rush there. But you have LeBeau, and he's running all these weird zone coverages and getting beat deep a lot. And you have Logan Ryan out there. You have Jackson. Those are catch guys. And so I think you have to get rid of LeBeau. I think he's too old to be a defensive coordinator. Get somebody else out there to coach the defense. Like, I think the roster is good enough to be good right now. I mean, this should be a nine-win playoff team at least, you know. And I think they're, get, they're really getting you know, a worse level of their record than their talent should be. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Yeah, so I, I, and, I'm, I, I'm happy, just, and I'm happy about that to be clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's well, it's also great though that the division did. Like we have, you know, I know Houston's four has four wins. I know he has three wins. I know Tennessee is severely underplaying their talent, and Jacksonville's going to be a possible, you know, one or two seed maybe. They're at least going to play a home playoff game. But that, that's so much better than what's been the past, where you have one team wins eleven. And then you have three other teams below 500. And so it's just like fun that there's actually possibilities to have three playoff teams. This year was a possibility until injuries happened. Tennessee pooped their pants. And then next year, three playoff teams is a possibility again as well. And there's a lot of talent here. And there's a lot of resources in this offseason. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to watch. And so I really do love this division. And it's, it's taken so long for it to be, you know, good. It's always been easy to love as far as like a slap comedy way. And so now it's fun to – Watch some like interesting football and uh, anyway as well. Yeah. So this week the Texans by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, we could do a preview. We could talk about T.J. Watt. We talk about Steelers front seven, how they are able to comp- compensate for their secondary uh, patience. The Le'Veon Bell. How beautiful David DeCastro and Mike Pouncey ace blocks are. 
we can talk about Antonio Brown's injury and how he won't be back in for the playoffs and how that may affect them. But again, they have Juju Smith-Schuster. Martavis Bryant had a spectacular game last weekend, too, made some incredible catches. And we talk about how hard it is to tackle Ben Roethlisberger in the pocket. But, you know, I think for this weekend, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. The Texans are bad. They're going to get beat by a lot of points. Uh, you know, there really is anything new I don't think we can add here. Is there anything that you want to touch on about this game? No, I, you kind of got it and started to steal your thunder. But so uh, Big Matt specifically mentioned T.J. Watt. You know, what do you think of T.J. Watt? I think that if, if, if his last name wasn't Watt, I think the very first thing you say about T.J. Watt is he plays a lot like J.J. Watt. He's like J.J. Watt light or the poor man's J.J. Watt. These guys have such similar games. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's like, it's like T.J. watched a lot of tape on J.J. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that that's, that really I, I think of the most about watching T.J. Watt play is he's such a great athlete, you know? I know so much has made this, like, hero story about Watt. Like, Watt is an incredible athlete. I mean, obviously he works hard. He does this and this and that and that. But, uh, I mean, just, like, naturally, both these guys are, you know, spectacular athletes. And, uh, and he's also, like, such a – already, like, a pristine pass rusher, too. That he's going to be eventually one of those guys who's going to get you know, 15 sacks pretty easily. Uh, like week one this year, he was going up against Joe, Tom, Joe Thomas, and he beat him you know, five or six times in that game, too. And uh, it's going to, you know, he's probably going to be an all pro player one day, and the rest of the league should be very stupid for letting the Steelers take him at the 21st pick last year. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, again, it's, you like to watch these guys who are so athletic and who just who put out the effort. And today's NFL is. I think there was a time when maybe you could say some of these guys are kind of mailing it in. I think that's been gone for a while. I don't really think that's a you know a thing anymore. I also think there was some underlying racism to a lot of that. Uh, yeah. But you know from from you know years ago. But I you know you see it's it's fun watching how much effort these guys put in on a week to week basis. And there's you know one of the big things about Bill O'Brien when well, the team hasn't quit on him. Well, watch today's NFL. Who quits? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Well, I think Don't part of it, too, like, if you, if you go out a full game, like, you know, with your head not fully in it, you're going to get destroyed. Your teeth are going to be out of your skull. You know? And so yeah. if you go out there kind of half-assing things and not giving full effort, you're going to get hurt. Unless you're just like a wide receiver who's just not running through his routes and all. But, you know, those are, those are two different things. The majority of positions you play, like, you're going to die if you, if you don't go out with max effort. Yeah, and, and that, that's the perfect – the one guy who I've seen this year who was not putting out effort was Kenny Britt. Oh, yeah, he's a complete abomination. Yeah. Yeah, and he's going to win a Super Bowl this year probably too. Stop it. <laughs> uh, so what's your prediction for this game? Steelers, a whole lot of points. Texans, not very many. I, I think this is going to be <laughs> along, the, along the lines of, you know, you know, 45 to 7, which kind of is a familiar sounding score. I think it's going to be something along those lines. It's just not even going to be close. Yeah, I have Pittsburgh winning 41 to 10. I think it's mainly like, let's try to get Schuster and Bell touchdowns and Roethlisberger touchdowns to make them happy. That's me one of those sorts of games. Um, I'm going to watch this game right, because I wasn't around last week, so I'll be doing all the threads and write the post screen, and uh, you'll be a real team player. But uh, why, why should I watch this game if I wasn't doing that on Monday? Oh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to convince anybody to watch this this Houston team, especially when it's not going to be close. So why would I watch this game? Because it might be borderline comical about how bad Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant burn our secondary. It's going to be borderline comical. Especially Martavis Bryant is just an absolute burner. And I can see Reslisberger and Helm hooking up a couple of times for big, big touchdowns. Yeah, I really wish Antonio Brown was playing this game because he could have, like, 250 receiving yards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, with his short space quickness, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it would be ridiculous. Just trying to hit 1,700 yards in a year or whatever he has. But well, that's, that's all we got for tonight. Thank you for – let's see if you have any questions real fast. I know I checked we didn't have any. Uh, we don't have any questions at all. So, anyway, thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Thank you for listening live, everybody. If you're listening live, we'll be back on next week, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central, more than likely, where we're going to talk about this Steelers-Texans game, uh, the Week 17 game between the Texans and the Indianapolis Colts. And then from there, uh, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the playoffs, and we'll go through until the Super Bowl and.
do a game review and that will kind of be all you'll hear from us until in the draft. And even then we don't, we don't do a whole draft stuff sometimes, but uh, that's the plan. But again, thank you everybody for listening. Talk to you next week at 7 p.m. Central. And thank you again for being on tonight, BFT. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.